several people have been asking about, uh, Pastor, are you going to give us a report uh, at any point about uh, the trip that you took to Israel? Uh, those of you that don't know, Twyla and I were privileged to be in Israel. We took a nine-day trip. We are in the country for seven days, and we have almost recovered from our trip. We've been back two weeks, and we're almost back to normal. And, uh, and so at some point in the next couple of months, we're going to plan an event where we're going to actually uh, show some pictures. We're going to talk about the trip because it really was life-changing. And our goal is uh, uh, sometime in the next couple of years, we're going to actually take a trip, and you need to go. Start saving your pennies right now. And uh, tell somebody in December at Christmas, you just want money, all right? I want money. Uh-huh. Let it rain up in here. And, uh, and put that in your bank account, okay, and uh, get ready because uh, we want you to experience what we experienced. And I shared a little bit last night in the production about standing on a hillside across from the shepherd's fields of Bethlehem, which is most likely biblical scholars and people that study that culture believe that Jesus would have been born somewhere out in those fields in a cave that we think of a stable we think of a building but in biblical days they kept animals in caves in the shepherd's fields and that just sounds like the kind of place that Jesus would have been born uh, and, and, and as, I, as I get into our message today I'm, I'm going to explain that a little bit more but it was just a, a phenomenal feeling to stand there on this hilltop to look across. We didn't even go into the city because most likely it's modern city of Bethlehem and there's really nothing there that to see because we were looking at probably the place, something like that, where Jesus would have been born. And what was amazing is, is that through the haze over just a, a few miles, you could see it in the distance, was, was the mountain where King Herod, Herod the Great, built Herodium, which was his palace. He was on his way to another location, stopped there and made war and won the war. And so he built a city and a palace in it in honor of himself and, and, and named it himself. It has four towers in it that are seven stories tall. It has a, a bath, a Roman bath facility, all of this incredible place, of just a palatial uh, thing that you can actually look it up and Google it and see uh, kind of some of the things they've pictured that it would have looked like. And as I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this place where the King of Kings was born in a cave, and I'm looking over here at this, at this mountain, and I'm thinking about the contrast of the life of Jesus and the world that Jesus was born into. As we're coming into this Christmas season, it was really on my mind as I was thinking about the, the, the system that Jesus, the place that Jesus was born into, and, and, and this, this incredible uh, culture that he was born into, because Herod the Great, who had came, was king and had been king, was an incredible builder. As a matter of fact, uh, we stood at the temple, at, at the walls of the temple, and I mean, it's just, an, uh, just the ruined part, just the ruins that are left are phenomenal to see because they go up probably uh, three stories uh, of, of these stones that were built. The, the temple site that Herod built was about 35 acres uh, some of the stones there, the largest stone they think would have weighed between five and 600 tons. The average stone weighed 28 tons. They hewed them out of a quarry and brought them up there and transported them up there and set them into place. He was an incredible builder. And when you stand and look at it now, it's a third of the height that would have been. It would have been two times higher than that. It would have been nine stories high, the wall. 
And so Jesus walks by this wall with his disciples, and they go, look at these incredible stones. And Jesus prophesies, and he says, there's not going to be one stone left on another. And when I think about that, I think about how incredible that must have been to the disciples to think that here's Jesus making this statement. I mean, Jesus who, who lived completely in contrast to the systems of the world. As a matter of fact, do you know that Jesus Christ was really would have been considered in his day an itinerant peasant? He was a carpenter, we know. But when people came to follow Jesus, he said, listen, if you're going to follow me, you need to know something. Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. He never owned a home. When they came to get taxes from him, instead of giving them money, he sent Peter out to catch a fish, and there was money in the fish's mouth for the taxes. He didn't have enough money on him to pay his taxes. That's the kind of life that Jesus lived, in total contrast to the world. In fact, when he made his entrance into Jerusalem as king, he didn't even ride on a steed. He rode on a donkey. Come on, somebody. Biblical scholars tell us that the kings of Israel were just supposed to go to war on donkeys and not on horses. And you know why? Because God wanted to always remind them that it wasn't about the equipment that they had, that he was the one who was fighting for them, that God was the one who was doing battle for Israel. And so Jesus comes in with this, with this life that he lives that's so contrary to these incredible buildings and the society and the leadership of the day. You, you would think if Jesus wanted to influence the culture that he would have tried to rub, rub shoulders with the leaders there. and He would try to get involved with, with the, the people in the temple and all the impressive stuff, but Jesus didn't do that. He just, he just was very simple. He was just very much on message about the kingdom of God, and, and he came to bring this message and he actually ended up turning the world upside down and changing the hearts of men, totally changing history to now the greatest movement of faith in the world was founded by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an incredible thing when you see it, to see the contrast of it. We, we went to Caesarea Philippi where actually the gates of hell are there. I didn't even know there was a place in Palestine or in Israel called the gates of hell. But there's actually a, a rock wall um, mountain, just a sheer mountainside. And in that was this huge cave, and they used to call this cave the gates of hell. It was a place of pagan worship. Herod built a temple there to Caesar Augustus. Next to it is where they worship the god of Pan, who was the god of mischief and homosexuality. Next to that is the place where they worship dead goats. And they actually had these little areas where you put the dead goats in, you come back and worship the dead goat. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And there were four pagan temples in that place. And we're, we're sitting here and looking at all of this. And, and after we observe it and we walk around on the old pagan temples and see the stuff they've excavated and, and all the, the things that were there, these were, these were some pretty incredible buildings on this sheer rock face. Then they reminded us, this is the place where Jesus is walking along with his disciples and he says, hey guys, who, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah, one of the prophets, you know. And then he asked the question of all history. He says, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I think at that moment, Jesus must have been ready to jump out of his shoes. 
And he said, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I want you to understand that on this rock of revelation, on people just like you, simple folks like fishermen and tax collectors and people that just come from average culture, on those kind of people who can hear my voice, I'm going to build a church. And then he pointed at that big old temple and that big old pagan temple and he said, and the gates of hell right here will not prevail against it. I'm going to build a church that's going to tear all of this garbage down. Come on, somebody. I thought, wow. What was Jesus What was his life? What was his death? Because then when he died, he died, you know, just a criminal's death. Between two thieves, he's crucified. What what was Jesus' life and his death? What was it telling us? It was telling us, it was giving us this message. You can't lean on the things of this world to get where God wants you to go. Your dependency has got to be on God. What was he telling us? He was telling us from what the old prophet said in Zechariah. It's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That it's not about all the stuff that you see, and it's not about the, the accomplishments or the, or the abilities of man, but it's, it's by my spirit, That we've got to be a people who are dependent on God. Can I tell you today, you will never be the man of God God called you to be apart from the Spirit of God on your life. You'll never be the woman of God God's called you to be apart from the Spirit of God on your life. You'll never be the father or mother or businessman or leader or whatever God's purpose is for you without His hand on your life. And I'm so glad that I'm a part of a people who have learned that we've got to be dependent on the Lord. That what we're doing is we're not looking to our own strength or to the ways of men, but we're looking to God. And I believe that Jesus is up to something in our church. How many of you believe that he's up to something? I, I know that he is. I mean, I mean, awesome and incredible things are happening right now in our church. And so God is up to something. And so it's because we're dependent on him and saying, Lord, this is not about us. This is about you. Why is it that people are being saved every week and people's lives are being changed and marriages are being healed and and people are, are coming out of the ways of darkness and they're coming to God? Why is that happening? It's because the Spirit of God is moving in our lives and because we have learned that it's all about Him and about what He desires to do in our lives. We have a culture of dependency in our church. That's why the first month of every year, we start off with 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to do that again in January, the 8th through the 28th. We're going to be having a time of prayer and fasting. Then in August, we have 21 days of prayer and feasting. Okay, that means after prayer, you go to Popeye's and get something, all right? You know, so. But we have these 21 days of prayer because we say, Lord, right at the beginning of the year, we want to give you this time, and we're going to spend this time praying we're going to spend this time going after you because we understand that right here at the beginning of the year we want to say lord we recognize that we need you we recognize jesus that you said i'm the vine and you're the branches and apart from me you can do nothing and so we're going to set aside some time as a church 
to say, Lord, we're calling out to you. We're committing this year to you. You know, last year when we started this, and, and or it's actually this year. I'm, I'm already in 2017. But in 2016, when we did this in January, I had some goals that I set out. I said, let's pray for this. Here, here's what we want to see happen in attendance in our church. Here's the number of people we'd like to see saved this year. Here's the number of people we want to see go through growth track, the number of people we want on the team, the number of small groups we want to make. Do you know that in almost every single area of that, we either have already or will hit the mark of what we started praying for in January? Amen. That's something to thank God for. And so what's happened is, is that We've, we've come to God with some specific things, and we've said, Lord, we want you to do this. Why do we do it in January? Because order matters. We want to give the first part of the year to the Lord. But also because we recognize that we, we, we're going to have to, if we're, if we're going to go where the Lord wants us to do, to go, then we're going to have to lean on Him. We're going to have to lean on Him. And so today, I just, just put this in a little bit different context than what we normally do. I just, I want to call us as a church to be people who depend on God, to be people who lean, who lean on God. And that's what you'll find in your notes if you open them today is you're going to find some things about people who lean. What, what, what's the characteristics of people who are dependent on God? Number one is this, people who lean have God's heart and God's vision. If all you have is a vision for where you're headed in your individual life, then you don't have to depend so much on God. But when you start understanding what it is that God wants to do, when you start getting the vision of God in your heart, you begin to learn how important it is to have the Spirit of God on your life. Proverbs says it like this. People, it says if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. If we don't know what God's doing, we stumble all over ourselves. In other words, your life doesn't have any real direction until you start doing, until you know what God is doing. Until you get engaged with what God is doing, your life doesn't have any real direction. You're just kind of living for what's under the sun, for what's happening today or what may happen tomorrow in your life. But when you start getting a vision for what the Lord is doing and you start understanding God's heart, then you start understanding how you must have the touch of God on your life. Can, can I tell you something I'm, I'm incredibly excited about? One of our goals that we prayed for is that God would give us 700 decisions this year. We're on target that by the end of the year, we're going to surpass that by God's grace. We're going to see more than 700 people who've come to Christ just in our services, just in our ministry here. And, and you know, while I'm excited about that, can I tell you what, what disturbs me a little bit and what, what stirs my heart? is that there are over 193,000 people on the three coastal counties who have no religious affiliation at all. 193,000 people, more than that. That was a 2010 statistic when the Census Bureau did some studies here. And they said there are over 193,000 people in Jackson and Harrison and, and uh, um, Hancock County that have no religious association at all. And so, Pastor, aren't the churches doing something? Well, 
Let's just, let's just talk about the heart and the vision of God because in the last 30 years, statistically, the church in Harrison County, the, the whole church, all of the churches in Harrison County have grown by 1% in 30 years. And while I'm pumped and excited that God's doing something in our church, I recognize that the harvest is still really white. There's still a white harvest field. In other words, it's ripe, it's ready. But there are still many people out there who need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And that's why we can't get to the end of this year and go, boy, it's a great year and all these people got saved and all these people are on the team. Listen, all we're doing is getting ready. We're at the very beginning of what God wants to do. Can I tell you, somebody asked me today, Pastor, how do you make it through two services and then do a production? I said, well, let me ask you a question. How are you going to make it through three? Because I want to have three services and four services and then five services. Because what I want to see happen is I want to see more opportunities for people who are away from God to come into a place where they have a life-changing, life-giving experience, where they feel welcomed and warm, where they love the environment, but where they are challenged to turn their life over to Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that on this coast right now, there are hundreds of thousands of people who need to be mined for the kingdom of God. They need to be born again so that the gifts that are in them can be, can be put into practice to help build the kingdom of God. And there are tens of thousands of them out there who are still waiting to hear. And I want God to help us reach a bunch of them in Jesus and when you get that heart and vision you begin to recognize that we're just at the beginning isn't that exciting we're just at the beginning i mean how many of you like going fishing and the fish jump in the boat that's kind of the way it feels right now fish jump in the boat this year on average 13 people a week have come to christ in our services on average I mean, it's just like fish are jumping in the boat. But, but, you know, we're just at the beginning of this. We want to see an incredible harvest. And I just hear, it's like I hear the voice of the Lord when he spoke to Simon Peter. And he said, I want you to, I want you to go out into the deep. And I want you to cast out your nets. Peter would have done okay if he would have obeyed the Lord, but he didn't. He went out in the deep and he cast out his net. Singular. Go read it. It's in Luke chapter 5. Jesus said, go out into the deep and cast out your nets. So Peter had been fishing all night. He thought, well, you know, well, I'll just throw out a net here. I'm not sure if it's going to work or not. And he caught so many fish, the net began to break. And they had to call the brothers in the other boat to come and help them get the fish because there were so many. He should have cast out his nets. And what I want God to help us do, thank God we got a big net. But I want God to let us get nets in Jesus' name. Because there's so many more that, that, are, that are out there that need to hear, people that need to hear the message of the gospel. I was so blessed on Friday night because we've had people of all ages getting saved and a couple of guys who looked like they were probably in their 30s or 40s. I met them prior to the to this production walking around and I'm giving invitations. I'm saying, lift your hand. I look. Those guys are sitting beside each other and both of them raise their hand to come to Christ. Folks, that is huge because after people past the age of 18 typically they're they're much less likely to make that decision but here's a couple of guys who said we want to get our lives right with Jesus Christ can I tell you there are hundreds more like them out there we're not going to win them 
by the systems of the world and the stuff that the world has set up, the way they're going to be won is by the Spirit of God anointing us. Hey, listen, let me ask you a question. Who, who, who gets the credit? Ultimately, Jesus gets the credit, but when somebody comes to Christ, you know what You know what prepares them to come to Christ? The fact that there's somebody out there with an umbrella when they drive up. That there's a person here greeting them, and so we're so glad that you're here, and somebody helps them check their, their children into the, the child care ministry and helps them find a seat, gets a cup of coffee in their hand. Some people can't hear from God until they got some caffeine. Come on, somebody. So who is responsible for 42 people coming to Christ the last two nights? We all are. Come on, church. We all are. I just really didn't mean to preach this morning. I'm trying to save my voice. It ain't working. So if I can't sing tonight, don't blame me, all right? So... Because there's 193,000 people in our three coastal counties, that doesn't include Stone County, all these other places around. But just let's just take our three coastal counties. We've got to pray harder and do better than we've ever done before. Say, so Pastor, why do we just keep improving things and changing things? Because we want to be better. You know what? We can get better, and we will in Jesus' name. Because I want people's lives to be changed. I'm trying to remove every obstacle that would keep them from coming to Christ. And yes, I'll do anything short of sin to bring somebody to Jesus. And thank you for having the maturity to not get your preference when you come to church so that somebody who doesn't know Jesus can get their preference. Just thank the person next to you. Sam. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Because people who lean have said yes to the Lord. It's not enough just to, to have a, a, a vision and a heart of God's heart, but you've got to say yes. You've got to get engaged. That's why I'm glad we have like 400 people on the team. I love that. So do you need 400? Yes, we need 800. We need 1,000. Why, Pastor? we got we got enough people to serve this church. We ain't here for us. We're here for the people who haven't gotten here yet. And so you got to say yes. You know, I always think about Abraham, and there's a long verse in, in Genesis 12. It, it talks about him. The Lord spoke to Abraham and said, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And, I, and you're going to be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on, on all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. We know that happened through Jesus Christ. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his possessions that they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired in Haran. They set out for the land of Canaan. They arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land. Now I want you to see something. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So what did Abram do? He built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Verse 8, from there he went toward the hills of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel in the west and Ai on the east. And there what did he do? He built an altar to the Lord. Every time he turned around, Abraham's building an altar. I don't think it's just because he liked gathering stones. 
Abram built an altar because he said yes to God. He didn't know where he was supposed to go next. He had to stay in tune with God to know what the next thing was. And when you say yes to God, you're going to have to get on your knees because what you're going to encounter is bigger than you are. Oh, come on, church. I don't want to live my life just doing what I can get accomplished. That's why when God gives you a vision, it's a lot bigger than you are. Why? Because then it takes faith to get it done. If you could do it, then why would you need God? But God says, look, I've got something for you that's so much bigger than you, you're going to be able to do. And so you know what's going to happen? You're going to start building altars everywhere you go. Because you're going to be going, Lord, I need you. When God deals with you to win that person to him at work who's just totally out, out to lunch spiritually and doesn't know anything about God, you know, God, I've got to have your help. You've got to hit your knees and start praying. When the Lord starts dealing with you about touching your neighborhood for Christ, when the Lord says to you, you need to go into the prison and start ministering to people in jail, you know you're going to have to call out to God. So you've got to say yes. Obedience, you know, it brings some challenges, but it's the greatest job. It's the hardest and toughest job you'll ever love because it's so rewarding. That's why we just encourage people. Here's what, here's what I would like for you to do, and we're coming up on the new year, so I want to encourage you to do this. If, you're, if you've been around here at Cedar Lake and you're kind of kicking the tires, you go, well, you know, this, I like this, I'm not sure about that, and I don't know about this, and, you know, this is okay. But, all right, here's what I want you to do. Here's, I've, got, I've got a solution for you. Give us a year, and in that year, do everything we ask you to do for just one year. Okay, so that means get in the growth track, get on a team, go to a small group, be here on Sunday, on Sunday experiences every week. If anything comes up for men and you're a man, go to it. Something comes up for women, you're a woman, go to it, attend it. If we have a marriage seminar and you're married, go to it. Everything that we do, do everything for a year. If at the end of that year, you're not stirred in your faith, have a new lease on walking with God, come find me, I'll help you find another church. I'm totally sincere. There's great ones in the, in the community. Well, the reason I'm saying that is because when you get engaged, something happens in your life. I mean, we got people right now that are on teams. Before they got on teams, they had to drag themselves out of bed on Sunday morning. Now, because they're serving and they're doing something for God, they're at the door waiting, telling the rest of the family, get out of here, it's time to go to church. Because when you get engaged, when you say yes, and you connect with what God's doing, then you're a part. Aren't you glad that you're a part of 42 people coming to Christ in the last two days and more going to come to Christ tonight? You see, your faith is engaged. and We've got a couple ladies who have been going down to the prison and, and ministering to the ladies in the prison. They've been bringing us reports at our Saturday morning prayer meeting. And I asked them this week, I said, can you just give me an estimate of how many people you think have been saved since you started? They said, we think we've got 25 ladies that have come to Christ, not including those who've rededicated their lives to Jesus. And the thing about it is when you see these ladies, they're walking two feet off the ground. They're not like, you know, trying to get to heaven. Hello. You see the difference? They're not like, you know, well, y'all pray for me because the devil's beating me up. No, they're excited about God. Their faith is stirred. So I want you to get 
engaged in that because here, here's, here's the last thing. People who lean have learned how to pray. You learn how to pray. <laughs> you know, one time I was, in, I was in Africa with a team, and we had just gotten really, we're so busy, I hadn't had time to put the cash for the trip in the safe, so I was carrying $6,000 with me. Cash. American cash. I mean, I was a target. What I didn't know is the church had scheduled us for the worst area of Nairobi for our first outreach. So we go to Dandura, which is a project where the kids are sitting there with glue bottles. They, they've got them. They figured out where they can, they can hold the glue bottle in their mouth so they're sniffing glue all day long. These were the kids in that community. We went out there to do an outreach. As we're leaving, they've, all the traffic is blocked because a bus has hit somebody. They're laying in the middle of the road. They're taking money from all the bus drivers to pay for this guy's funeral. Now, we don't know if that was true or not. We just know that I look up, I've got $6,000, and I am surrounded by all these people from this community. At that moment, I learned how to pray. Are you with me? And I began to say, it dawned on me all of a sudden, I've got the church money. And we're a bus full of white folk in a slum of Nairobi. Help me, Jesus. Our bus driver, supernaturally, he saw a little area where he turned and got off the road and went down the sidewalk area and got around and got us out of there. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody. This guy's angels watching over us. Let me know when you say yes to God, you learn how to pray. And your prayer, your prayer life turns into, God, what are the kingdom possibilities before me today? as opposed to this kind of prayer. This is the kind of prayer that we pray if we're not connected with God's heart. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my bank account to keep. I pray my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise. I pray my boat ramp doesn't close and my money market grows. If I go broke before I wake, I pray my Mercedes they will not take. Okay, that is not the prayer. In fact, Luke 11, the Bible says that one day Jesus was praying. The disciples heard him. And they came to Jesus and they said, Master, teach us how to pray the same way John taught his disciples. Now that's a very interesting question because these are little, good little Jewish boys. They grew up going to the temple. They knew how to pray. They just didn't know how to pray like Jesus was praying. And can I... Can I just challenge you today? I really, I'm really asking God to, to give us a church full of people who want to and who know how to pray. That's what I'm asking God for. So, Pastor, all the talent we had up here, we just need to get all that up here every week and do some great things and turn on some lights and people will come. No, 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 no. We don't have the touch of the master's hand. If we're not a people who say, God, we want you. We want your spirit. We want your glory. We want your anointing. We want your power. Nothing short of it, God. Why is it that, that last night when the lights came up, a whole row of people raised their hand? It's because every Saturday people have been in this place, on their face, on their knees, saying, God, we have to have your presence when we get to this production. 
You have to move. You have to touch what we're doing. You have to anoint it. You have to feel it. We're going to do our part. It's going to be as excellent as it can be. But God, it's not about what we can do. It's about what you can do. I heard a, such an interesting story. A pastor nobody probably really knows. His name is Wes Olds. And Wes was called by his Methodist arch overseeing bishop to pastor Epworth Church in Lexington, Kentucky. Epworth United Methodist Church. And so he went there excited and, you know, he's, he's got a new suit and he's got his Bible and he shows up on Sunday morning and someone greets him and says, well, we just want you to know that we didn't vote for you, so we're boycotting the church. The average age of this congregation was 82. I thank God that our 80-year-olds in this church are on board with what God's doing. Come on, somebody. Because you know what these people did? They actually drove to, the, drove to the church and sat in the car in their parking lot on Sunday and boycotted. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought that was funny. And this guy thought, uh-oh, what am I going to do? And so he didn't know what else to do, so he started a Wednesday night prayer meeting. He said, here's the way it went. I, I said to the people, look, we're going to pray because at this, at this point, the church had split three times. They had run off the last three pastors. They had reduced from 2,000 people to about two dozen. So he said, I think we need to pray. So he, here's what he did. He got up on Wednesday night, and he said, hey, he said, if you feel like you want to pray, you want to lead in prayer, then just lead out and, and, and we'll just follow. I mean, there's maybe, you know, there, with 24 people, there was probably about 10 folks at the prayer meeting, maybe. And so, you know, and so he, he got up and, and said that, and then he would sit down, and nobody would pray. And, 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 and so nobody got up and prayed, nobody led out in prayer. And so they did that the first week, and then he got up and said, well, we'll come back next week. And they did that the second week, and he got up and said, well, we'll come back next week. They did it the third week, and for seven weeks, nobody got up and prayed. He said, I was staring at the green shag carpet. That's one reason they were at two dozen. Anyway, I was, sharing, I was staring at the green shag carpet thing. God, we can't have another week like this. He said, all of a sudden, a little Spanish lady named Magdalena got up. And she went down to the altar, and she knelt at the altar, and she began to pray. And she began to call out to God, and she would switch back and forth. She'd say, gracias, Señor. Oh, God, we need you. Lord, this is your church. Lord, we need your presence. Ven aquí, Espíritu Santo. And she began to switch back and forth between Spanish and English. She began to cry out to God. And everybody that was there for that prayer meeting, their eyes got big as they began to hear this lady who knew God And everybody began to join in and pray. You know why? Because when you get to that place of depth and intimacy, it's contagious. And she began to cry out to the Lord and everybody began to pray. And it saved that prayer meeting and probably saved that church. And when I heard that, something stirred on the inside of me because I've been around people like, Magdalena, haven't you? That when they pray, you recognize this person and God know each other. And they're just having a little chat. This is not something that she just came upon today because she thought she ought to come to a prayer meeting. 
This is somebody who's got a relationship with God. This is somebody who knows how to get a hold of the Lord. You know, Magdalena was a housekeeper in a chain of cheap hotels. She lived a very simple life. She was very dependent on God. But her dependence was contagious as the people began to hear her calling out to the Lord. Can I tell you that that's, where, that's the place I want us to be. And I want us to be an army of people who are on our knees. You say, Pastor, I don't know how to pray like that. That's okay. You know what? Whatever prayer you bring to the Lord, He's pleased with it because you're trying to communicate with Him. So this is not to condemn you at all. It's to say, let's go on a journey. Let's go on a journey. Let's, let, let's call out to the Lord and say, God, I need you. I need you in every facet of my life. I even need you in my prayer life. I want you to come and, and fill me up. God, I, I want to know you like I've never known you before. I want to grow in, in understanding how to pray and, and how to communicate with you because, God, I recognize that I need you. Church, I'm just calling to you today to get ready for 21 days of prayer, to be here for our Saturday prayer, to do all of these things. Why? Because... We are at the beginning of what God wants to do. We're not at the end. We're at the beginning. And there are greater days ahead. And we have to guard over what the Lord is doing here. And how do we guard over that? By calling out to Him, Oh God, that You would rend the heavens and come down and make Yourself known in this place. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we gather before you this day as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. God, we thank you for all that you are doing today. But we also know that the harvest is plentiful, that Lord Jesus, you were not caught up in what was happening around you at the moment. You always had your eyes focused on what needed to happen next and where you were going and what was going to happen for the harvest. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be those kinds of people, people who lean, God, because we have your heart and your vision. People who lean because we said yes. People who know how to pray, Lord. I just pray you'll move on every one of our lives today and stir in us something fresh and something real our relationship with you. As no one's moving around, everyone's just in